0: Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Arise Online again, hope you enjoyed uh, the worship uh, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever it is that you're watching this. This is still very much uh, wet paint, we're uh, flying by the seat of our pants here, doing the best we can to uh, bring you a bit of worship and bring you the Word of God. Uh, We appreciate you coming online and watching last week, it looked like there were a lot more people uh, online watching than we actually would have had in the building, so uh, praise God in one sense. Uh, maybe there are a few more people out there that are hearing uh, the Word of God and hopefully being challenged and growing uh, in their faith. And it's awesome that we get a chance to do uh, to be a part of that. Sorry if my colour looks yellow. I feel like an oompa-loompa here, but uh, we're trying to work out the lights and all that stuff. We'll get there. Stick with us. And uh, we'll keep working on all the technical stuff. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I look like. Uh, what matters is that uh, we grow in our faith, what matters is that we hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us this morning, so I just want to quickly pray uh, for each of us. So, uh, Father, I just pray right now, lord as as uh, Lord, whatever time of day or night that people listen to this, Holy Spirit, I pray, open up their hearts and let them hear what it is that you want to say to them. Father, Jesus, you said that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word comes out of your mouth, and Lord, we want to live. And so, Father, we pray right now, open our ears to hear new things, open our eyes to see new things. And Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of us, challenge us and change us, conform us into the image of Jesus in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible there, uh, can you turn uh, to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19? I want to have a look at a story about a guy. You will know him. His name is Elijah, uh, a well-known prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, had a, a fantastic uh, uh, impact and start to his journey and his walk uh, in his ministry as a prophet and his relationship with God. Uh, at a certain point in that relationship, things went a little bit uh, pear-shaped, and I want to have a look at that instance in his life. Before I do, I want to share a story about something that happened with me and my daughter uh, a few months ago. We were in Brisbane probably about six months ago, and we were heading to Koorong Bookstore, and I was up there speaking um, at a, a training school. And as we we're coming into Brisbane, we decided we'd go to Koorong on the way and we would stop and look at some books. Well, I hadn't been, uh, to Koorong that way from the south for a long time. Normally I go and, uh, do my work in Brisbane on my way home. I would stop there coming from the north. But this time we're going from the south. And what happened was, uh, we're driving along and we took the turn that I remember from, from years and years ago taking. And we're driving along and just when I thought we were right there where we should be able to see Koorong, all of a sudden, the road we were on just went down into a tunnel. Now, there never used to be a tunnel there. Uh, I don't remember that tunnel. I didn't see a sign saying tunnel, but obviously the locals know the tunnel is there. And so we find ourselves on this tunnel, and we're going along at eighty, kilometres an hour, whatever it was, <laughs> and there's cars all around us, behind us, in the other lanes, and we're just getting dragged along, and uh, I'm, t- I'm saying to my daughter, you know, Kurong is back there. We could almost touch it. We could almost reach out and uh, and grab a hold of it that's how close we were and all of a sudden we got stuck on this road and it just kept on going and going and going we didn't come out until we were actually on the north side of Brisbane somewhere. I don't remember where we came out. I just remember we came out miles away from where we thought we were heading and where we were trying to get to. And we came out and we had to do a U-turn and find a different, uh, way to get there. We decided to come all the way back and we drove. It took us a long time, uh, and a lot of hard work trying to find where to go and, and reprogram GPS's and stuff. Anyway, eventually we found our way back, uh, to Kurong, went in there and we got the, the books that we needed, and so on. And it made me think a little bit about life. Life can be a little bit like that, can't it? We can be heading in a certain direction. We can have a destination in mind. We know where we want to go. We know the people that we want to be. Uh, We know the type of person. We know the values. We know who we are. And we're heading in a certain direction. But every now and then things happen, and they throw us a little bit off course. A bit like me and Chloe in the car, we we, we found at a certain point that we were actually heading in a direction other than the direction that we started out in. But because of the momentum of the cars and the traffic, we didn't really have an opportunity to stop. We couldn't find a way to stop. We couldn't find an off-ramp, an exit to try to get out of that slipstream, get out of that uh, flow of traffic and flow of life in order to return, refocus and go back to where we wanted to be. We couldn't find that opportunity. So, of course, we ended up miles and miles and miles away. When we look at the story of Elijah, uh, Elijah is a fascinating person because uh, at the start of his ministry, at the start of what we know about him, things are going pretty good. His life's looking uh, uh, fairly up, if I can use that term. Uh, we're introduced to him in 1 Kings chapter 17, and it goes a little bit like this. I'll just give you a quick rundown of the story. Uh, Elijah hears from God, and God speaks to him and says, I want you to go to the king of Israel, a man called Ahab. And I want you to tell him that uh, there's going to be a, 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 a no rain for the next three years in the land of Israel. And so Elijah confronts Ahab and he says to Ahab, the Lord God of Israel, which was interesting because Ahab was not a great king and he was not leading the nation of Israel towards the Lord their God. He had them serving false gods and going down other paths and certainly not following the God of Israel. But uh, Elijah, full of faith, stands there in front of the king and he says, you know, the Lord God of Israel, the true God of this nation has spoken to me and said that there's going to be no rain in the land for three years. Now, Ahab, understandably, was a little bit unhappy about this and so decided to come after Elijah. But God spoke to Elijah and God said this to Elijah. He said, I want you to, to pick up your stuff and take off. Uh, go away and don't worry about your provision. I'll take care of you. And so Elijah did. He obeyed the word of God. Picked himself up and he started running and he took off and God fulfilled his promise to Elijah. God fed him. Ravens were coming down and bringing him food. I don't know how hygienic that is, but birds were bringing food to him. Uh, there was a brook, a river that he went to and he sat at that river and there was water. And then when the river dried up because there was a drought... God spoke to him again and said, get up and move on. I'm going to take you to another place and I'm going to provide for you. So Elijah gets up and he runs off again and he goes to, uh, uh, bumps into a woman, a widow who's having a hard time. She's about to make her final meal and sit down with her child and eat it and then die. And Elijah says to her, which is kind of funny, go and make the meal, but feed me first. And then you and your son can have some. And uh, she goes away and she prepares the meal. But Elijah declares to her, he says to her, you know what, I want to uh, tell you that there will be um, supernatural provision for you and your child. You're not going to die. This is not your last meal. And, and guess what? It wasn't. God came through miraculously. And then the woman's child passed away. And we read in there that Elijah got the chance to pray for the child. And the child is raised from the dead. I mean, there's a lot of exciting things happening in Elijah's life. You see, I believe that Elijah followed the word of God, Elijah was motivated by faith, and Elijah was driven by kingdom values. When God spoke to him, he did what God told him to do. He was committed to that. Even if it meant confronting the king, who could have done great damage to him. Even if it means confronting the king, he did it anyway, confronted the king. And then he was motivated by faith. When God told him to go somewhere, he went there and he did it. And he was driven by kingdom values. God first. Let's, let's live out the life of God here because God's way is always the best. He was committed to these things and he was moving and living by these things. And it sounds like a pretty exciting life when you read the beginning of Elijah's life. But it didn't stop there. At the end of the three years, God spoke to Elijah and he says to Elijah, go back to King Ahab and declare to him that the drought is about to end. So Elijah does it. He goes back to this king who's been chasing him for years. He goes back to this king and he confronts him and he says, you know what, the drought is over. But he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get all the nation of Israel together. And you're also going to get all of these prophets of these false gods that are that are pushing these people towards these false gods. You're going to get all of them and you're going to bring them to a place called Mount Carmel. We're going to have a bit of a standoff there. We're going to put their God or your God against the true God, and we're going to see which God comes out and shows himself to be real. I mean, this is amazing opportunity, fascinating times. And so not only does Elijah confront Ahab the king, and not only does Ahab then go and do what Elijah asked him to do, but when he gets the nation together, Elijah gets bold and confident and he says to the whole nation, how long are you going to vacillate between two opinions? Either God is God or he's not. You've got to make your mind up. You can't keep being double-minded and swaying. And if you know the Old Testament and the story of Israel and the story of Judah, the nation of the Jews, if you look at their life throughout much of the Old Testament, it really was this roller coaster ride of loving God and then turning their back on God and chasing other gods and then coming back to God. It was this up-and-down yo-yo type of faith. And Elijah confronts them on it and he says, you've got to stop this. And then he says, come and watch this. And he gets the, the the prophets of Baal, these false prophets of these false gods and himself. And he says, let's get two big animals and they kill the animals. And they build an altar over here and that's Elijah's altar. And an altar over here and that's for all these false prophets to call upon their false gods. <laughs> and then he says to them, right, here's what we're going to do. You call upon your gods and I'm going to call upon mine. And the God who answers by fire, he's going to be the God. I mean, this is amazing when you read what Elijah was able to put his hand to and what Elijah was up to and what he was involved in in his early years of his ministry and his life. But it didn't stop there. So what happened was all these false prophets gathered around and they start chanting and they start dancing and they start cutting themselves and whipping themselves into a frenzy calling upon these false gods to come on down and consume this dead animal, this sacrifice, but nothing happened. So here's Elijah just mocking them. Maybe your god's asleep, maybe he's meditating, maybe he's gone on a holiday or something like that. Keep going, he's egging them on. And then when they collapse, utterly exhausted and nothing's happening, Elijah goes, everybody, watch this. The God who answers by fire, answer by fire and bang. God comes down in fire and burns up the sacrifice. The barbecue is happening. I mean, this is amazing when you think about what's going on and what Elijah gets to be about and gets to be involved in in his world. It's an amazing story. I'm surprised nobody has made a movie about the life of Elijah up to this point. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. At the end of that, he then goes and gathers all these false prophets. All the false prophets in the land are slaughtered. They're killed. They're taken out of the picture. And then the nation turns their hearts back towards Yahweh, back towards God. And then Elijah begins to pray. And as he prays, a cloud begins to come up and and from from the sea. And they see this cloud begin to form. And he says to his servant, he says, you need to go and tell Ahab the king he needs to get in his chariot now and he needs to take off home because the rain is coming. And I don't know, the chariots, they're not four-wheel drive and there's going to be a lot of rain. So tell him to get indoors now, quick as he can. And so the servant goes and tells Ahab and Ahab gets in his chariot and starts taking off home. And then Elijah, this is what it says, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah and he pulled up his cloak, his, his, what he was wearing, he pulled it up and he starts running. And it says that he ran past Ahab in his chariot. So God comes upon him and he's running supernatural speed. I mean, if if they had stopwatches back then, we probably wouldn't know who Roger Bannister was to this day. But they didn't have stopwatches then, but he must have been running pretty quick. And I can just imagine, I get this picture of Elijah running. And as he runs past Ahab's chariot, I can just picture him just turning and smiling, beaming with joy as he runs past the chariot. Maybe he's reflecting on the victory on Mount Carmel, he's reflecting on the fact that the God who answered by fire is the God that he listens to that God's voice and he obeys that God's voice. It's, it's, it's the God that he has his faith in. It's the God whose value system he has been living for and chasing after and bringing that kingdom to the earth. And I can just imagine him being so excited and pumped. Almost, to use our terms today, it's almost like Elijah is living the dream. He's living the dream. And then the Bible says that he gets back to the entrance of the city of Jezreel and he's waiting there. And maybe he's waiting for Israel to come on out and bring out their guitars and their tambourines and let's have a big worship session. I don't know what he was waiting for. Maybe he thought they might have come out and put him on their show. I don't, I don't know. What I do know is this, when he got there and he waited out the gate of the city, he didn't get what he thought was coming. You see, there's a lady called Jezebel. She was married to King Ahab. And Jezebel, when she found out What Elijah had done to the prophets of Baal, these false prophets of a false gods, she said this. She called a servant and said, go to Elijah and I want you to tell Elijah that it's now my life's mission to make sure that what he did to them prophets happens to him by lunchtime tomorrow. Wow. Everything up until that point in Elijah's life is heading in the right direction. It's going where he wants it to go. It's going where God wants it to go. And then something happens when he hears that news. The Bible says that he turns around and he runs. You can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. It says that when Elijah heard that, it says that he ran for his life. You know, when Ahab was going to kill him, the word of God came to him and said, run. So he ran Because he was running in obedience to the Word of God, God never came to him and said, run this time. But he just ran. All of a sudden, he wasn't following the Word of God like he had been. He wasn't living under the same value system as he had been. He was all about God and doing what God had called him to do. Now, all of a sudden, he was all about self-preservation, saving his own life. It says he was running for his own life. Things are different now in Elijah's world. Something's happened. And that course of action that he was taking, that direction he was heading in, all of a sudden, things are just a little bit different. When God spoke to him, when King Ahab wanted to kill him, he was motivated by faith as he ran. This time, he's being motivated by fear as he runs away. I'm not down on Elijah, by the way. I probably would have done the same thing. and You know what? You might have too. What happens after that is this, that... He runs and he takes off and he finds himself in a cave. And we pick up the story in First Kings chapter 19 and in verse 9. And we read this. And then he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here? He went into a cave and spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here? He's got all this bustling activity. Life's going okay. He knows where he's heading. He is, he is following the word of God. He is motivated by faith. He's driven by kingdom values. And then this situation happens with Ahab and all of a sudden he's no longer following the word of God. He's no longer... Focused on kingdom values, it's now about self-preservation. He's no longer running in faith, now he's running in fear. And at the end of the journey, he finds himself in a cave. In a quiet place of solitude. And dare I say it, don't get mad at me. But he finds himself in a place of self-isolation. And here he is in this cave. And while he's in this cave, the word of God comes to him. And God asks him this simple little question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, here's one thing we all know about God. God doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know information. There's nothing, no question you can answer that's going to fill God's knowledge box any more than it's already full. God never asks a person a question because he doesn't know the answer. The very first question we have recorded in the Bible that God actually asks is back in in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell and they ate of the fruit they shouldn't have eaten and they hid themselves. And God comes down and what's he say to them? He says, where are you, Adam? God knew where he was. So the question is never for God's benefit. The question is always for ours. It's always for ours. It's not for God's information. It's always for man's reflection. And so God says to Elijah, What are you doing here, Elijah? We all know the rest of the story then. God says to him, go out the front of the cave, he does, and there's this massive strong wind comes and the rocks are breaking and so on. But the Bible says, but God wasn't in the wind. It's funny, God instigated the wind, but he's not in the wind. Then along comes an earthquake. God's not in the earthquake. He instigated the earthquake, but he wasn't in the earthquake. Then along comes a fire. God instigated the fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then at the end, again, of all this activity and noise and whirlwind and earthquakes and fire, at the end of it, there's what? There's silence. And in the silence, what does God do? He repeats himself again. And he speaks in a still, small voice to Elijah. What does he say? He says the same thing. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, I don't think God meant, what are you doing here? Physically here, Elijah. He knew what Elijah was physically doing there. I think he was looking at Elijah's life and going, Elijah, what are you doing in this particular place in life right now? What are you doing in this place? A little bit like me and Chloe. We started off with a destination to go to Kurong. We were heading to Kurong and everything was going really well. And then all of a sudden we got a little bit off track. And the rest of the journey took us to a place that we never intended to go to. We didn't want to go to the north side of Brisbane. but We just got caught up in the slipstream of the traffic. We just got caught up. And how many of us, when we look at our life right now, if we were to stop and we were to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing here in different areas of our world? I wonder what our answer would be. I wonder how many of us, if we asked ourselves that question honestly, would be able to say, well, I'm exactly where... The word of God has taken me. I'm exactly where my faith in God has taken me and I'm exactly where the values of the kingdom of God have taken me. Or somewhere along the way, maybe, just maybe, like Elijah, something happened. Maybe not as significant as Elijah. Having Jezebel say, I'm going to kill you by lunchtime tomorrow, that's a significant thing. You're going to remember that. For many of us, maybe it was just little subtle things that happened. You know, if you're heading in one direction... And you change one degree every day. In 180 days, you're heading in the opposite direction. It's only one degree of change every single day. But you know what happens? Most of us never stop long enough to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing here? Most of us are so caught up in life. We're so caught up in what's happening in life. We're caught up in our work. We're caught up in our play. We're caught up in our relationships. We're caught up in our finances. We're caught up in our churches. And we never stop and allow the Holy Spirit to ask us the question, what are you doing here, right now? You know, I wonder whether this moment that we're in right now is not an opportunity for every single one of us to stop, to slow down, to be still, and to allow the Holy Spirit to ask us the question, what are you doing here? Is this where you wanted to be when you started the journey? When you had children, is this the parent you wanted to be? When you got married, is this the spouse that you wanted to be? When you started that business, is this what you wanted to be like as an employer? When you started that job, is this the employer you wanted to be? I wonder if this is an opportunity for us to just slow down and stop and listen to the Holy Spirit. Ask us, what are you doing here in this area of your life? where are you right now in relation to me? I'm convinced of this. Nobody starts out on a journey to end at the wrong destination. Nobody ever sits down and goes, well, I want to go from Ballina to Sydney, and I'm going to get in my car, though, and I'm going to drive to Toowoomba. Nobody ever did that. You just wouldn't do that. But... If you don't stop and take step and readjust the GPS and go back and look at the map and read the road signs before you know it, you can just get so focused on the road under the tyres you could be heading in the completely wrong direction. But nobody starts out to go to the wrong destination. We all start out to go to the right destination, but things happen in life when we get a little bit off course. Nobody begins a journey with the wrong destination in mind. We lose our way along the journey. We get off track somewhere, And life just keeps on going. So we never get around to making the necessary readjustments to get back on track. What a great opportunity we have right now to make the adjustments and to maybe get ourselves back on track. I've got some statements here that I've been thinking about and I want to read them out. And I want you to listen. I want you to ask yourself, do you see yourself in any of these statements? These are not the values I wanted to represent with my lifestyle. Maybe you look at your lifestyle. Do you feel like your lifestyle, the way you live your life, does it represent the values that you want to represent? Maybe you did when you started out. You had all your ducks lined up. But somewhere along the line, did you lose sight of what you wanted your life to represent, your legacy, your values? And you were a little bit off-center from that. Hey, I never set out to have a 90-hour work week and neglect my family. I never set out to climb the corporate ladder and, 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 and want to work so many hours and so hard and so long that my children grow up before my eyes and I don't even know them. That, that my wife drifts away from me or, or she grows up and, and I don't even notice who she is anymore. Or my husband and we don't connect with one another. How many of us, none of us start out that way, nobody wanted that, but how many of us right now have a chance to stop and have a look and go, well, hang on a second, hang on a second, here's a chance to ask the question with all honesty, What am I doing here in this place right now? Are you running your business or is your business running you? I didn't want to get so caught up in my social life that I neglected the person I married. Do you have time with your husband, with your wife? Or do you go to work all week and feel like, well, because I've worked hard, it's my right now to go and just hang out with the boys. I'm just going to go and hang out with the girls. And and we don't invest in that most important of relationships, that person that we didn't have to marry, we chose to. I said I do to my wife. I, I, I love my wife and I chose to marry my wife. She chose to marry me. I didn't want to find my value in the size of my house or find my value in the car I drive or where I holiday. Or what type of clothes I put on my back. I didn't want to find my value in all those other things. You know, your value comes from God. If you could look at yourself under a massive microscope, you would see fingerprints all over you. And they're the fingerprints of a loving father that knit you together in your mother's womb. A father that custom made you for a purpose. And for such a time as this. God's got amazing plans for your life. He's got amazing things that he wants to say to you. Things that he wants to show you. But do you find your value in God? Do you find your value in the fact that you're a child of God, that you were made by him? Is that enough for you? Or or, or are you suddenly finding your value in the stuff that you have, the toys? Do you find your value in whether you're a good preacher? Do you find your value on how many people follow you on Twitter or Facebook? Good chance for us to stop and ask ourselves the question, what am I doing here? Where are my values actually coming from? I never set out to earn more money so I could have more. I originally wanted to help more. How many people began in business with a goal of building the kingdom, getting finance together to fund the work of God, but then as time goes on to get more successful and more money, maybe that money begins to find other uses or other spaces, places to put it. And I'm not against people having money, by the way. I think the more money that Christians can generate, the better. They are the best people, I believe, to have that money because if your heart is right with God and right with people, you'll use that finance to better the world. So it's a great thing to have money. But how many people started out with an intention? How many politicians in this nation? How many sports people? How many singers? How many entertainers began the journey as believers, as Christians? They wanted to glorify God, but as time went on, they drifted away. If only they had have taken time to slow down and stop. And listen, I wonder if the Holy Spirit would have said to them at some point, what are you doing here? Before you get too far away, before you get too off track, what are you doing here? I never wanted my life to live out of convenience, but out of conviction. You know, I had a conviction uh, when my kids were growing up that I wanted to pray with them every night. And I remember a point coming, where this wonderful thing called Friday night football came on. And I remember Friday nights, I would want to get my kids into bed before the game started. That's what I wanted to do because I, I wanted to watch the game. And so, But I've got to pray with them. It's a conviction of mine. So let's get them in the bed before the game. And if they don't get in bed before the game, all of a sudden praying for them became inconvenient. And I was challenged. Do I want to live by conviction and pray with my children? Or do I want to live by convenience? That means that I'll live out my convictions, but only when it's convenient. Here's one, might be close to home. I never wanted Facebook to be the first thing I read in the morning and the last thing I read at night. How many people in this world right now are absolutely addicted to social media? Whether we want to admit it or not, how many people? First thing we do when we wake up in the morning is we reach for that phone and we want to read about somebody else's life and somebody else's story. And before we lay down to bed, the last thing we're putting in our head is somebody else's life and somebody else's story. You know, when you first got Facebook and you first got a mobile phone, is that what you wanted? Was it? Did you want something that would consume your life and take over your world? I think most of us didn't. But what are we doing here? What are we doing here? I didn't start out as the centre of God's universe. He started out as the centre of mine. I was just having this conversation um, recently with Daniel. We were talking about when we first became Christians and the simplicity of faith and how we're so in love with God. You know, when you know no knowledge, <laughs> when you have very little knowledge about God, you just love him and you're in awe of him. And God is actually God. And, and sometimes I think we grow in our relationship with God and all of a sudden God sort of moves from being the creator of the heavens and the earth the God, uh, Lord God Almighty, he moves from that position just a little bit. And if we're not careful, God almost becomes subservient to our needs and to our wants. And before you know it, we're frustrated because God didn't give us what we asked for, what we wanted. Who's the servant? Who's the master? Who's the potter? And who's the clay? How do we get here? What are we doing here? I didn't want my prayer life to resemble a shopping list, always chasing God's hands. I wanted to see his face and chase his heart. I remember when I got saved, I, I never went to God and asked for anything. By the way, nothing wrong with asking God for things. I don't have a problem with that. I want my relationship with God to be more than just, what can you give me, Lord? I want to celebrate what he has given me. I want to celebrate what he has done for me. I want to have my eyes opened up more and more to the spiritual dimension and the blessings that he's given to me, not just the material things. But I want to understand who I am. I want to understand more who he is, how he sees me. How many people we go to God and we're just looking at his hands? God, what can you do for me? Here's my shopping list, Lord, and I'll just drop it off and then I'm going to get on with my day. But God wants us to seek His face. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to be in relationship with Him. That's why He died for us, that we could be reconnected. Jesus died so we could be reconnected to God in relationship. I remember early on in my walk with God, you know, I, was, I used to pray and I knew nothing about prayer. But there were times, and I don't say this to be religious or look holy. Man, I used to pray uh, sometimes from the minute the sun went down and the sun would be coming up and I was still praying and I didn't even notice it. You know, I'm flat out sitting for 15 minutes now. I'm flat out sitting for 15 minutes now. I pray for 15 minutes and I'm fidgeting and I'm twitching. And I go back and I look at what that 15 minutes of prayer was about and so much of it was, God, would you do this? Would you do that? Would you do that? I used to pray all night. And I used to just go, God, I just want to see your face. I just want to be with you, Lord. I want to experience you, God. God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to do? What am I doing here? What am I doing here? I never intended for the Bible to become a supplement to everything else I read. I never intended the Bible to just be that thing that I went to if somebody else couldn't explain it to me. I wanted to be in the Word of God. I devoured that thing when I first became a Christian. You know, I've got to be brutally honest with you. I'm standing here now, and since this COVID situation and the isolation and the quieter lifestyle, I can hear the Holy Spirit, and this is what he's saying to me. Uh, He's saying to me, what are you doing here in terms of your spiritual life, your walk with me? What are you doing here? I think it's a wonderful question to ask in so many areas of life. And maybe you found yourself in some of those statements that I just made.
1: You know, we've been handed
0: the greatest opportunity for self-reflection that probably any modern generation's ever been given. You know, life will never return to normal. And personally, I feel like that's God's plan. You know, I hear a lot of people saying, let's make adjustments to get us through this period. But if I could speak to you from the heart of God, I believe God's saying to us, don't make adjustments just to get through a period. Here's an opportunity for you to make adjustments to go forward and have a better life life a more godly life here's a chance for you to make adjustments and get back to being the person who is obedient to the word of God get back to being people who are motivated by faith and get back to being people who are driven by the values of the kingdom of God you know God met God met Elijah in a place that he wasn't meant to be and he met him in a place that he never told him to go but he met him there anyway. And that's the beauty of the story. It doesn't matter where we're at right now, how far we feel like we've drifted. God is speaking to us right now and he's saying, hey, here's your chance. If the world won't slow down and we won't think about the pace of life and we won't think about our values and we won't think about our God and we won't think about the journey that we set off on, if we won't think about that, then maybe we've been backed into a corner and given an opportunity where we have to think about it. Just a thought. Maybe God's been waiting for a time like this because he's longing to ask each of us the question. What are you doing here? Let me pray. Father, I just pray for everybody that sees this uh, video, Lord, this preaching, whatever. God, I pray for every single one of us. Lord, my prayer is this, that we would slow down. Slow down that we'd quiet ourselves and that we would listen, God, to what you're saying. God, knowing that everything you're saying to us is for our benefit. It's to bring good things into our world, Lord. It's to bring blessing to us. God, it's to empower us. It's to take us to a better place. It's to reset us and get us back maybe on the course that some of us have drifted away from, Lord. Maybe... Those that have walked away from you, God, maybe there are people listening who've walked completely away from you. And here's their opportunity to slow down and to listen to you and to plot their course back on the track that you want them to be. So Father, I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would hear your voice and we'd obey. That we'd be motivated by our faith that we reframe our lives to represent the values of the kingdom of God so that we can be salt and light in the world.